right, praise the Lord. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We are beginning a brand new series this morning. It's only going to take three weeks, but there's going to be four parts. Because the last Sunday of this month is Super Sunday, part four is going to be Super Sunday night. The series title is Relationships Status. Because it's a play on how on social media uh, they'll ask you your relationship and they'll It'll be single or divorced or in a relationship or the, your, some of y'all's favorite. It's complicated. But I wanted to take a play on that and twist it some because I'm not just going to be talking about that kind of relationship. I'm going to be dealing with relationships across the board. The relationship we have with God, the relationship we have with ourselves, the relationship we have with others. And yeah, we're going to talk about marriage and dating. I have a sermon in the third week that we're going to, uh, we're going to, it, it, the title of it is, uh, it, it's Covenants, Flings, and Relationship Things. You're going to want to be, you're going to want to be here for that. But every week we're going to deal with a different aspect of relationships. And this morning we have to start with the most important aspect of any relationship. And it's a crazy big thing called love. This is the week of Valentine's Day, so this is why I wanted to kick this series off this week. Now, when I was a little kid, there was a song that was pretty popular, a crazy little thing called Love. It's been covered by several other bands through the years. Queen wrote it and, and, and put it out, and it was a, it was a big hit for them. Uh, it may have been their first number one hit, if I'm not mistaken, and, uh, but through the years, Stray Cats, different ones have, have covered it. But uh, I want to teach you this morning that love is no little thing. It's actually a big thing. As a, as a matter of fact, according to God's Word, it's the biggest thing. And, and, in, and unless we understand love and get the concept of love correct, We're going to struggle with relationships forever. It doesn't matter what kind of relationship we're talking about, whether it's internal or external. If we don't understand the first, the fundamental of building every relationship, which is love, we're always going to struggle with that. So obviously, the greatest gift that God ever gave to mankind was Jesus Christ. Amen? That's the greatest gift He ever gave. And the Bible tells us in the book of James, James happened to be a half-brother of Jesus. And the Bible tells us in the book of James that every good and perfect gift comes from God. But I'm going to tell you that every gift that God gives isn't always good. What are you talking about, Pastor? I'm glad you asked. Let's take free will, for instance. I'm going to talk to you about free will because one of the greatest things God ever gave us was our free will. Why? Because it means you have choices. And at the same time, the worst thing God ever gave us is free will. Why? Because it means you have choices. And depending on how you choose, charts a great bit of your life. So free will means that you choose who you will serve, what you will love, and how are you going to show that love. And one of the major differences between churches, and I know a lot of you have come here to promise a victory from other churches. So I'm going to tell you what the difference is concerning or the view of free will. We're not like every other church. We call ourselves that church. Uh, But doctrinally, There's a lot of different views about this thing called free will. Let me just break it down for you like this. A lot of churches, when you join the church, they give you a list of rules to follow. They tell you that you have to dress a certain way, talk a certain way, adopt certain creeds, act certain ways, and that you can't do all of these other things. And when you join the church, that's part of the deal. You, you take on these ideas, and what they say is, when you do this, and this, and this, then you're a Christian. And if you don't do these things, you're not part of the body of Christ. And then, on the other end of the spectrum, there are churches that don't really think you need to follow any rule. That because God is love, He doesn't require or expect you to do anything. That he has provided the free gift of salvation, and it really doesn't matter what you do. 
And then somewhere in the middle of these two extremes, there's churches like us. And what we believe is that God does have a standard. What we believe is that He does expect us to obey His Word. And we believe that one day He will judge us based on how we did those things. But, and say but, look at your neighbor and say but. We don't think that you're going to do it because I tell you to do it. We don't think that joining the church, we can tell you how to live and what to do, and you're going to obey us, and therefore you're going to be right with God. Because there needs to be a change of heart. So free will means that you're, you want to serve God enough that you lay down anything that is hindering you from serving Him. And if you're wondering what the differences are, think about it like this. Who would you be and what would your choices look like if you weren't worried about disappointing somebody? I, I, I don't want you to answer that question, but I do want you to answer it internally. Some of you have family members that you love and respect deeply, and if you lived your life the way you want to live your life, you know they would be disappointed with you. So you make certain choices to stay in their good graces. But that's not who you really are. Who you really are wants to be something else. But you are molding your life to not disappoint them. And that's all fine and good. But that's not the same as loving God and wanting to please Him. Because what would your life look like today if you followed all of those desires? What kind of relationships would you be involved in if you weren't worried about what your family would think of you? Some of you would not be in church today because you would be living in a life that is, not, that is contrary to the Word of God and the beliefs of the church, but you don't do it not because you love God, but because you respect mom or dad or your brother. Y'all not going to help me in here. You have molded and formed your desires not because you love God and you want more of God and you want to be like Him, but because you fear man. But I'm going to tell you this morning that we need to fall so in love with Jesus that our desires fall in love with Him too. That's the difference because, hear me, it is exhausting trying to serve God and follow rules. I don't love Him and follow His rules. I follow His rules because I love Him. I want to be like Him. I want to please Him. I want to not disappoint Him. So it's not as if I wake up every day and say, oh Lord, I got to do this and I got to do that. I got to pray. I got to go to church. I got to love my neighbor. Don't get me wrong, none of that is in itself easy, but you have a hunger and a thirst that switches from the carnal desires to the Christ desires when you fall in love with Jesus. And perhaps nowhere is this more important than in our relationships. You wonder, what's this got to do with relationships? Well, we're there. That's why I'm doing this series. Relationships seems to be one of those things. It's relationships and money. And it seems to be two things that we try to do our way and not really ask God if it's done His way or not. And I don't know if you figured it out or not, but relationships are a big part of your life. And I also don't know if you have figured this out yet or not, but some of them you can't afford to get them wrong. Some relationships will make or break you. Some relationships take you higher or lop you off at the knees. And you really don't want to be, keep, continue to take chances on the wrong relationships. Why? Because you make a huge time investment. You make a huge emotional investment into relationships. So it would be wise if you would make a substantial investment in preparing for relationships before you get into them. How many times have you got into something and said, man, I wish I would have thought that through? So, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You get into it and you're like, man, if I would have just asked somebody, if I would have listened to if I would have stopped for a minute, if I would have pumped the Y'all not going to help me, are you? And then you're like, how in the world did I get here? Well, usually you get here because when you were there, you weren't preparing for here. 
And over and over and over again, the Bible makes it very clear that God takes pleasure in us when we use our free will to serve Him. Think about it. When you stand in front of your dishwasher and it's running, you don't dance a jig. You don't celebrate and spin and act a fool when it's running. Why? Because it's doing what it's supposed to do. It is a machine. It did not have an option. It did what you commanded it to do. So you don't celebrate when your Roomba vacuums the rug. But when your kid does it voluntarily, you have a heart attack, you resurrect yourself, you give yourself an offering, and then you celebrate the kid, right? When someone loves you and they don't have to love you, it means something. When you have someone who loves you but feels obligated to love you, it's meaningless. And it pleases God when you worship Him because you didn't have to worship Him. Millions of people today are not choosing to worship God. So you all have a choice. And the fact that you made the choice to come to church today, the fact that you made the choice to lift your hands in worship, the fact that you made the choice to make Jesus your Lord and Savior means something. He smiles down on you because you use your free will to serve Him. It means something. When, when you have to fight with your kid to do anything, would you just pick up the room? Why are you always so stressed? This is the 9,475th time I've told you to pick up your... That's one kind of relationship. It's a total different kind of relationship when they just do it. Because it's something that means something to them. When they show you love and affection without asking for $20, it means something. And it's, God is the same way. He's a good father. And he wants our love and affection without us always with our handout. So through the, through the centuries, the church has picked up some terms and some habits over the year that God never asked us to pick up. And one of those things is that we have a bad focus in churches to make people Christians. And, and we, we have an altar call at the end of service. We say, would you like to come up and surrender your life to Jesus? Would you like to accept Jesus as your Savior? And that's it. We, 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 we just witness and we preach and we pester until somebody prays a prayer. And then we just dust our hands off and we make a mark in some cosmic book where we keep score. And we say, hee hee devil, one more soul was one. But Jesus never told anybody to come and be a Christian. He said, come and be disciples. And the difference between being a Christian and a disciple is found in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. Jesus said, a disciple is known by love. Listen to what he says, a new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. He didn't say all men will know you're my disciples because you got a cross necklace on. Or you carry a big Bible into the lunchroom at work. Or you've got an ichthus on the bumper of your car. He didn't say all men will know that you are my disciples because you preach at them endlessly. He said, they'll know because you've got the right kind of love. If you love one another. Now, I'm going to jump right into this outline. He, notice what he said. He said, a new command I give to you. A new command. How could this commandment be something new? When God has told them for, up at the, uh, and when Jesus quoted this, God had been telling them for thousands of years to love. Jesus did not invent the idea of loving God. When the Pharisees asked Jesus what's the greatest commandment, Jesus said, and I quote, Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy... Some of y'all know it, and some of y'all are just like... <laughs> Love the Lord thy God with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. Jesus didn't make that up on the spot. Jesus was quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6. So God had, through the years, told them already to love. So this was not a new command. 
he, although he said it was a new command. So what he's actually saying is, I'm going to command you to start loving in a new kind of way. It's a special kind of way. I want you to love like me, is what Jesus was saying. And that's what makes this new. It's a higher standard of love. I'm going to dive into this head first because people had been loving years for years before this conversation took place. But they were often loving in a very human way. And the reason I wanted to bring this sermon into this series is because most of us start out loving human ways. And we don't ever know how to love like Jesus. And I'm going to teach you before the end of this message what Jesus' love looks like. The Bible says that God is love and that humans crave love from the moment of their existence. When a baby is first born, it doesn't know anything, but it loves its mama. Have you ever noticed the, you don't have to teach a baby to love? It, it just naturally has an affection for that person that held on to it, that birthed it, that gave it life. So the word love describes an emotion that you and I probably don't understand the way Jesus meant it when he said it. Because the word love describes an emotion that has a lot of different degrees of intensity. Okay? When I was in college, my first go around, I'm, it's, I've been in college my whole life. It's dumb. It's dumb. You, you're hearing this, Pastor Ryan, it's dumb. It's dumb that we just keep going back to college. It's just dumb. I've been doing it my whole life, but my first go-around in college, I was a freshman, and, and I was in a marketing class, and they taught us something about when brands become generic. And basically what that means is that their brand name becomes used for the thing that it is. Like when you say, will you go Xerox this for me? Does anybody remember that when you used to make copies? And, and, and you would hand them to and you would say, will you go Xerox this? Well, Xerox used to be a brand. Then it became generic, and it became uh, a term that, that stood in for, uh, will you go make copies? That's what we should have been saying the whole time, will you make copies? But instead you say, will you Xerox this? Sometimes in the South, you go down to, to uh, one of my kin people, and they'll say, hey, would you like a Coke? And you'll say, yeah. And they'll say, what kind? You say, I don't know, I'll take regular. Because you think they're asking, do you want Regular Coke or Diet Coke? They'll say, well, we got Dr. Pepper, we got Sprite, we got... Because in the South, Coke is a generic term, which means pop or soda or however it is you people up here say it. So generic terms takes a real term and makes it cheaper. Well, that's what we do in the English language. Because in the English language, we only have one word for love. Say love. Uh-huh. So, so, so we have made love, in, in the English language, we have made love generic. We use the word love very casually, especially this younger generation. They love everything. Uh, see, 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 some of you in here, you're like, I love the Steelers. Yeah, okay, that's fine. Some of you are like, I love the beach. And then somebody else, I love winter. And some, some of you brothers in there is like, I love my recliner. And if this preacher would ever shut up, I would get in it. And one reason that you go through this is because the English language only has one word for love. So love becomes generic. Are you following me? So I love cheeseburgers. I love donuts. But I also love my kids. So I got one word to describe my feelings and emotions for cream sticks and my offspring. It's the same word. But they don't, before y'all judge me, I don't have the same affection. All the time for cream sticks that I do my children. But the Greeks didn't have one word for love. The Greeks understood that there's different kinds of love. So they came up with at least four different words to describe this thing that you and I call love. And because Greek was the prevalent language of the day, the New Testament was written in Greek. So I'm going to give you a quick 
Greek lesson on love. The first kind of love is the one that is on your Valentine's cards. It's the one that, that makes you feel all warm and fuzzy and gives you goosebumps on top of your goosebumps. It's eros. It's romantic love. This is the one that gets you into relationships. It's also the one that gets you into a mess. When, <laughs> when people have eros, it's the Greek word used to describe the romantic attraction between two people. Now, eros was a Greek god, okay? And when the Romans got this word, they changed his identity to somebody else. You'll never guess. Cupid. So when you see that little cute Cupid, he came from the Greek god Eros. And Eros is the kind of love you fall into. I fell into love. The problem with falling into love, like a pothole, It'll cause blowouts, ruin your suspension, and make you regret that you ever hit. Y'all not going to help me. You ever, you ever heard somebody say, it was love at first sight, and then 10 years later they say, I wish I'd have looked the other way. That's Eros. Eros gets you into a mess that fast. Okay? Eros is the butterflies. Eros is the mushy-gushy. Makes my heart feel. Just look, look, look. You, you ever been around somebody that's in love, like that, like that young love, and they, and they, when you, when they see them, their face just beams, and and everybody else is going, what is she looking at? It's just me. It's just me. Like, like, <laughs> like he comes around, and there's like fifteen of her friends, and they're all like, what is she seeing him? And she's over here sweating, and her eyes is glowing, and she got, she's, she's going to need chest compressions real shortly. That's Eros. That's the one that raises your blood pressure. That's the one that makes your face flush. That, that, that's the one that embarrasses you, okay? But love in the form of Eros, and this is the danger of it, love in the form of Eros seeks its own satisfaction. Eros wants to possess the thing it falls in love with. Eros wants to have the object of its love as its own. And God is very clear that Eros is how a relationship starts, but it can't be where it ends. We move on from Eros to Philea. Philea stands for friendship and companionship. This is the kind, now I'm, I'm, I'm not talking about just your casual friends. We'll get into that in a later sermon. In this series. These are the friends that are intimate to you. These are the ones that you tell your secrets to. These are the ones you entrust with your, with, with your deepest thoughts and desires. These are the people that you're honest with. See, these, these aren't your fake friends that you put on for when you come to church or go to work. These are the ones that come and sit in your living room, sit in your favorite seat because you let them. And they know everything about you. You don't hide things from it. This is what philia is. The Greek term philia describes the powerful emotional bond seen in deep friendships. This is your BFF. Philia in the Bible is the most commonly used term. So most of the time when you see love translated, see, see we take all these Greek words and we translate it into love. So, so you'll see a, a chapter like 1 Corinthians chapter 13 where it says love is this and love is that and love, 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 love. And if you don't know which love it's talking about, you can get very confused. So you need to know which specific Greek love term it meant. And sometimes the most commonly used term is philia. Why? Because this is the love we're supposed to have for fellow humans. This is the love that makes you care about when other people hurt. This is the love that makes you respect people even if you don't like what they're doing or saying. The, the world could use a little more philia. Because this is where you get compassion for people. When you can look at somebody and say, 
I don't like what they say, what they do, how they act, but I see that they need Jesus. This is philia. Then we move to the more common uh, love that you find easier, and it's storge. Storge is a Hebrew word, or a, a, a Greek word that means affection between family members. And this word describes family love. That there's bonds that develop naturally between parents and children and brothers and sisters that from the outside in looks weird. Oh, I'm the only one. The King James Version calls this love natural affection. Okay? Think about it. You put up with stuff from your kids. When I say it looks weird from the outside looking in, the whole world is looking at your child going, like, like you go over, ladies, you go over and visit your friend because you love your friend, and her kid is up underneath the table pouring milk into your purse. And you are looking under there going, I love you, but this spawn of yours, you need to let me take him outside for about 15 minutes and you will not recognize him when I bring you back in. I will have a talk with him. And you love her, but and you look at her and you're like, why don't you see what I see? How do you not see this heathen? Spawn, you're raising a serial murderer and you don't seem to be affected by it. It's storge. You put up with stuff from your children that you would never tolerate from anybody else. You put up with stuff from your husband or wife or your mother or father. Some of you, you see the dysfunctional relationship some children, some grown children have with their parents. And you're like, why do you, do you not put a stop to that? It's storge. There, there's this familiar love that you will never understand because you're not part of that family. So, kids, can I give you a little bit of advice? Be thankful for your parents. Be thankful for your parents. Because if it wasn't for our natural love for you, some of you would not be here. Okay. Either us or somebody else would have took you out by now. You know, some animals eat their young. And some of us parents understand why. So, so thank God that he gave you the parents he gave you because there's a nurturing and a protection that comes with storge love. And Paul told Timothy that one of the signs of the last days was that Parents would no longer have that natural affection toward their children and children toward their parents. And we see that. And I don't want to get too, uh, I don't want to get too deep in the weeds, but is that ever more evident than something like abortion? Like a woman that has a child within her and shouldn't have the natural affection for that life that's inside of her. But Paul told Timothy that's what's going to happen in the last days. So Christians are members of God's family. So when you become part of the family of God, we are knit together by something stronger than physical ties. We are knit together by the bonds of the Holy Spirit. And we're related by something stronger and more powerful than family blood. We're knit together by the blood of Jesus Christ. So we have this love one for another. So, so, so that's why we uh, can be trusted with your child in the nursery. We don't always like that. But we're also not going to do what we feel like doing because we are family. <laughs> so so the, last, the last kind of love, and this is the one that's going to be most important as we go through this series, and that, that love is agape. Agape is unconditional. Agape is sacrificial. It is the highest form of love. This term defines God's love, how God loves immeasurably. It's, it's, it can't be compared to Cupid and his arrows. This is a divine love that comes from God because agape love is perfect, it's unconditional, it's sacrificial, and it's pure. And this is the love that a pastor asks you to receive one another through when we say, do you take this? I don't want to get too deep into human relationships because that's not what this sermon's about. We'll get there. But have you ever heard the words of the vows? 
do you take this person by whose hand you hold to love them forever? Some of you should hear it that way. It's a long time. Like, because, and you're agreeing to things that you don't know you're agreeing to because when you're 22 and you're saying I do, you're saying I do to somebody who's healthy. So when you say richer and poor in sickness and in health, you don't know how sick sick can get. And, and, and you're starting your life together, so you're content uh, living in that one-bedroom studio apartment where you're barely getting by because you're thinking, we got our whole life ahead of us to, to make this change in our life. But you don't realize that change don't always come, and later on in life you might still be broke, and are you still going to love them and poorer when poorer never changes? Because what you're really saying is, I'm saying yes to the richer part, and I'm just going to tolerate poor till we get there. Because I've never talked, I've never had marriage counseling with any individuals who thought that where they start is where they're going to end. But I have married people that never changed. So what are you saying yes to? When, when we ask you to say yes to each other, we're asking you to say yes to agape. Because agape is forgiving love. It's unconditional love. It's not tit for tat love. It's not I love you if you do these things. I'll provide for you as long as you provide for me. If you respect me, I will honor you. That's not the way this goes. It's being able to disregard how horrible they are and keep your focus on the love that you professed for them. We don't like this, Pastor. Good, I'll move on. Prior to the New Testament... This Greek word was seldom used. As a matter of fact, people had never used the word agape to describe love in that generation. So then you come to the New Testament, and that word agape is almost on every page. It's almost as if God sent His Son, Jesus, into the world, and we were exposed to a type of love, a supreme love, a love that was so wonderful, a love that was so marvelous that we didn't have a word to describe it in our language, that Jesus loved us so much. The Bible says that while we were yet sinners, He died for the ungodly. The Bible says that when we did not love Him, He loved us, and we had never experienced love like that, so we invented a word to describe this supernatural love that we had just come in contact with so this is a God kind of love this is a Jesus kind of love and the reason agape is the God kind of love is that anybody can love lovable people listen to me you know you know lovable people people that you love are the people like you you choose that relationship you want to be around those people but it takes a whole lot of agape to love some folks There are some, <laughs> you ever go to Gabe's and buy clothes? You ever, go to, you ever go to Gabe's and buy clothes? It's funny because most of the clothes in Gabe's, if you look at it somewhere, it says irregular. Like it didn't make the cut to be quality enough to hang in the Levi's store. But if you can tolerate one leg being shorter than the other one, like, We'll sell it to you. It, like, it's pants, but they're irregular. It, it's a shirt, but it's irregular. It's 30 inches around the top, 22 around the bottom. It's still a shirt. If you can tolerate it being irregular, we'll sell it to you. There's some irregular folks. There's some Gabe's people running around the kingdom. There's some people that, like, it's easy to love the perfect people. Everybody's got that one sweet grandmother. Everybody's got that one sweet older aunt that just everybody loves. But then you got that one irregular cousin. You got that one that everybody just kind of tolerates. Oh, great. Is John coming to Thanksgiving dinner? What time's he going to get there? <laughs> it's irregular. It is harder to love. The irregular folks. Somebody say amen. 
I'm glad you agree with me because here's a newsflash. You're the irregular person to somebody. Somebody feels that way about you. You're hard for somebody else to love. So let's learn how to do this Jesus kind of love. Number one, love is a verb. It's an action. It's not just a noun that describes an emotion or a feeling. It's something you must do. And since Jesus commanded us to love, love can't simply just be something we feel. It's something we do. Love must be more than just talk and warm feelings. 1 John 3 and 18 says, My children, our love should not just be words and talk. It must be true love, which shows itself in action. Anybody that's ever been in a romantic relationship knows that talk is cheap. Saying I love you is different than showing I love you. So, so, so what does it mean to love like Jesus loved? It means four things. Number one, it means care and compassion. If you tell somebody I love you, don't, don't make them wonder because when they need you, you ain't around. Uh, Mark chapter 1 uh, says this about Jesus. He was filled with compassion and he reached out his hand and touched a man who had leprosy that nobody else would touch. But care and compassion compelled Jesus to reach out. 1 John 3 and 17 says, If anyone has this world's goods and sees his brother in need but shuts up the bowels of compassion, how can God's love rest in them? Because when you have God's love, you care about other people. Don't raise your hands and don't look around. Keep your beady eyes right here. But everybody knows somebody that is as selfish as the day is long. Everything is about them. Uh, all the problems of the world rest on their shoulders. They're constant complainers. Everything is falling apart in their world, and they can never have any emotions about what's wrong with somebody else, right? That, that's not having care and compassion. Care and compassion is when I can overlook what's wrong with me and see that there are people hurting worse than I am. Number two, which leads you to number two. You'll never get to number two if you don't first have number one because it means committed serving. When you have care and compassion for other people, you want to help them. You'll serve them. 1 John 3, 16, we know that real love uh, looks like because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we ought to also give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. Jesus' brother James, once again, comes on the scene and tells us, for, you come upon an old friend who's dressed in rags, Boy, the church is good for this. And he's hungry. And you look at them and say, be dressed in Christ and walk on without helping them. He said, the love of Christ is not in you. How many times has somebody come to you as a Christian and says, hey, I'm, I need this, I need that. And you'll say, I'll be praying for you. And you just walk on. But that is not, that, that's not Jesus' kind of love. Jesus' kind of love wants to serve people. And, and most of Got to be careful here. Most of us have a problem seeing people less than or, or, or more than a commodity. We see people as a means to an end instead of seeing people as someone that Jesus wants to reach. We pray that God would give us worldwide reach. We pray that God would give us somebody to witness to, and then we put somebody in our path. And we say, I'll be praying for you, and we move on because that assignment's not the one we were asking for. Yeah, but Jesus will put people in your path so that you can prove you have love in you. I got, I, thank you. I, can I tell you, I never wondered if the old timers loved the church. When I first got into the church, I was a 20 something year old. I never wondered if the old timers loved the church because they served. That if nobody else would do it, they would. they would. They would vacuum the rugs. They would clean the carpets. They would take care of the curtains. They would watch the babies in the nursery. The old timers would do it when nobody else would do it because they served God and his house and his people. And they would, if they saw somebody hurting in a pew, they didn't just, they got up and walked over and sat beside of her and put their arm around her and says, Honey, what can we pray for you about right now? They would stop a preacher's sermon just to get up and pray for people. And, and, and that was because they had compassion and wanted to serve people. Number three, it means building bridges and not walls. I, I want you to pay close attention to this because later on in this series, I'm going to teach you that, that, that uh, building, that you need to build barriers but not walls. Walls are dangerous because you can't allow love to get out if you wall yourself in. 
Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 30, Jesus says, love your enemies. When somebody gives you a hard time, pray for them. Someone grabs your shirt, gift wrap your best coat and give that to them too. Some of y'all are like, "Mm, what about that? Some of y'all are like, "Uh uh-huh. If somebody takes unfair advantage of you, use that occasion to practice the servant life. Live generously is what Jesus said. So the Jesus kind of love, look, we're going to anoint Facebook right now and Twitter especially. The Jesus kind of love looks to bring an end to conflict, not throw gas on it. Because the Jesus kind of love understands that we need to build bridges, not to us, but to him. And, and, and by the way, we want to bring an end to conflict. And can I, can I help you? There will be conflict. If you don't want conflict, don't get married. Mm. Don't go to church. Don't get no job. And for the love of all things holy, don't have no kids. If you don't want conflict, avoid all of those things where you have to engage other people. Like maybe become a monk, move into Nepal, shave your head and hum hymns all day. But the Bible, you know what the Bible says about this kind of love? It covers a multitude of of sins. And that's not your sins, that's the sins people do against you. A multitude of injustices, a multitude of wrongs, a multitude of mistakes. Understand why this is agape, because there's no amount of human love that will overlook who you are. Heaven tried. Heaven wanted you, but, but heavenly or uh, human love was never going to be enough to get you into heaven. It had to be agape. And if you're going to overlook the falls of other people, you're going to have to learn to love like Jesus. Because human love has conditions to it. Human love says, I will love you as long as you do this. But agape says, I'm going to love you in spite of that. And last but not least, it means living relationally. And this is going to be the rest of our series. We're going to talk about our relationships, how we react to one another. John uh, John 13, 35, Jesus says these three words. Love, one. Do you see it? Love, one. Say that last word. Another. One another. You need a one another to love. You need relationships. You can't practice this kind of love by yourself. And and, and somebody's saying, Pastor's telling me to hook up. That is not what I'm telling you. Back that up. Because this is not eros. This is agape. And you need to be one anothering somebody. And it may not be for fulfillment of a marriage relationship. This could be somebody who comes into our church and sits on your row and you've never seen them before. Are you one-anothering them? Are you making yourself available to them? Are, are, are you going to them and saying, I'm glad to see you here. What's your name? My name is so-and-so. We're so glad that you're at Promise. Are you one-anothering anybody? Are you going to work and one-anothering anybody? Or are you just becoming so self-centered and And so focused on who you are and your problems and your tasks that you're not paying any attention to anybody other than yourself. We need to one another. I know some of you are saying, well, pastor, ain't that what you do? I got news for you. If me and my wife have to one another, everybody in here, there's a whole lot of gifts that's going unused. Because we're not not the only ones called to one another. We're all called to be a one another to somebody else. That means you've all got gifts. You've all got the ability to, to witness to people, to love other people. And, and I'm be honest with you, since we're just being, you know, truthful, here it is, Valentine's week. Mercy's not one of my strongest spiritual gifts. It's way down on my list. If you are a member of the Promise of Victory Church, your pastor struggles with mercy. I mean, I do it. But it takes a minute. Sometimes i got to go in the other room and say, Jesus, clothe me in mercy before I go back in there. Because I'm about to tell them what I think. And they're not going to like what I think. I want to tell them what you think. Now, there are some of you that are clothed in mercy. And it's one of your strongest spiritual gifts. And, and my, my wife will say, I noticed so-and-so was upset today. I'll say, hmm. 
was they there today? <laughs> like, I, I, didn't, I didn't notice it. So, so, so there's, there's gifts that you have that I may not possess the same way I have some gifts that, that you don't possess. And Paul had to write a letter just to address the problems that was created in a church. There's a church in Corinth. 1 Corinthians 13 is going to be a big deal in this series. There's a church in Corinth. And they're a church that has it going on. Like they are reaching people for Jesus. They have spiritual gifts going on. They are seeing miracles and signs and wonders. I mean, it's the talk of the town. Paul says so in his letter. And he, he sends this letter to them because they, it, it never fails that when God starts blessing, the devil starts messing. And what happened in Corinth was the, the church was, was being blessed and there was a lot of people being saved and there was a lot of, a lot of hullabaloo about what's going on out in the community. And also, they've got some sin sitting right in the sanctuary. Also, they've got some people that are taking advantage of the Lord's communion. <laughs> when I say taking advantage of it, they, they're, they're overdoing it on the communion wine. And they've got spiritual gifts happening in the sanctuary, but they've also got a lot of people that's out of bounds with what they're doing. So Paul rips off this letter. And he sends it to him, and he's correcting a lot of this. He's correcting a lot of what's wrong in the church. Are you with me? He's correcting what's wrong in the church. He's correct. And, and he addresses some of these things specifically. For instance, since it's just us talking, we'll just gossip a little bit, okay? There was a man in the church who had taken a wife. Everybody say, ah, yeah, that's sweet. The only problem was it was his mama. Now, we don't know whether it was his biological mother or maybe his, uh, his father had a, like a second wife. or uh, Either way, it's gross. And, and, and either way, it was out of bounds because obviously dad wasn't divorced from her because Paul says, and you got this guy in your church that's coming to church with his dad's wife. You need to cut that out. What he said was, you guys are patting yourself on the back, how proud you are that you are not kicking these people out of the church, but you need to deal with that. So Paul was dealing with all of these things that were wrong in the church. But then he gets to the end of the book, or the end of the letter, and he starts writing about something that the world don't understand. Agape is, a, is not a feeling. It is a determined act of the will. And the world don't understand that. The world thinks you're in love because you feel in love. But I got news for you. When you decide to love somebody, sometimes you have to keep making that decision whether you feel like it or you don't. Sometimes I feel like a nut. Sometimes I don't. The world is desperate for love. You I are desperate for love. The word, the word tells us that. As a matter of fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 to follow after charity. And that's not your red-headed daughter. In other words, he says pursue love. Chase it down. Make it a goal. I don't want you to raise your hand, but how many of you have ever done that? How many of you have said, I want to be more loving? I know some of your goals has been, I want to get more love. But how many times have you said, I want to chase down love. I want to pursue love. I want to go hard after it. I want to make it my aim. I want to make it a goal. Colossians 3 and 12, he tells us to put on the acts of love. Put on the acts of love. Make a deliberate statement that I'm going to show love everywhere I go. Now, I see all of you got dressed before you came to church. To that, I say thank you. And those of us that are engaged in spiritual warfare kind of... Uh, theology, we believe in putting on the full armor of God before we leave the house. But I want to know, have you ever put on love before you left the house? Have you ever, before you left the house, said, before I go out into this hate-filled, venomous world, I'm going to put on love. Paul told the church of Thessalonica, I want you to increase and abound in love. 
In other words, he said, I don't want you to just have a little bit. I want you to keep flow. I want you to, I want you to get to the point where instead of hatefulness is flowing out of your Facebook, love is. Peter says in 1 Peter 1 and 22, love one another with a pure heart, fervently be earnest with your love. Paul says that you have to have act that you have access to the love of God. Do you know that Paul says you have access? In other words, the love is there. He said, you have access to the love of God, Romans 5 and 5. It has been shed abroad in your hearts by the Holy Spirit. In other words, God put it in you. But what have you done with it? Have you nurtured it? Have you matured it? Have you let it out? Or have you hid it? Because you have access to it. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1, Paul says this. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but I have not love, I have become sounding brass and clanging cymbals. Now, what would I do if I was just stood up here all this time and tried to preach to you about love? Love, love, love your neighbors as yourself. Love your husband, love your wife, love your kids. I love you, you love me. We're a happy family. And if I'm preaching love, but I'm not living love. If I'm preaching love in this house and going home and not showing it to my family, If I'm coming to church, lifting my hands, coming to the altar and showing out for Jesus, but going home and showing my family disrespect and terror, that's what they hear. Though I speak with tongues of men and angels, have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. The Corinth church had spiritual gifts, they were being used. They had a great heritage. They had teachers of the word. And for the most part, they were characterized by having the right doctrine. But there was this glaring hole. He said, you have not love, and none of the rest of it matters. Paul said, even if you lay your life down for the gospel and give your bodies to be burned like a martyr, but if you don't have love, you have nothing. Love isn't just an act. It's the heart behind the act. So the absence of love has created a whole multitude of problems. Mm -hmm. When we come to church, we want people to feel like this. Don't we? Don't you? There's something about that, ain't it? It just makes you want to get close to Jesus. Sing it. Lord, you know what? Lead us, Sister Alicia. When people come to church, you want them to feel this, right? You want them to feel this. This is love. This is God's love. It's a mess. It sounds like a mess. 
it's not attractive, and nobody wants to be drawn to it. Can somebody give the Lord a hand clap? Do it. Get together now. This is what we want. Harmony. Everybody's saying the same thing. Jesus loves you. The absence of love has caused a lot of problems through the world. Go back to the insurrection. But the presence of love will throw down every attack that the devil brings against us. There's nothing that the right kind of love can't fix. That's the message that he wants us to know in this generation. Now, I apologize in advance to you cat lovers. But dogs are incredible. I apologize, you cat lovers, but there's just something special about dogs. And I'm going to talk to you about dogs because those of you that own dogs or you have owned dogs in the past, you know what simple, pure love looks like. I asked for y'all to send in some. Maybe I want to get the words off. There we go. Simple, pure love. for pictures you provided pictures you wonder why I could have asked for y'all's kids and y'all wouldn't have sent me this many pictures fan favorite. Send out a notice if anybody wants to donate pictures of their dogs. If I'd ask for y'all's kids, y'all say, I think I got one in the back of the closet or something. But you say, you got any of your dog? Absolutely. How many do you need? Just the whole phone is full of my puppy pics. You ever notice that pure, innocent love that a dog has? I don't care where you have been when you come back home. You know how that dog acts? I don't care if you just walked out and checked the mail. 
You come back in, they act like you were gone for 14 years. They're so glad to see you. If you take a walk and they know what a walk is, you ask them if they want to go. They're the first one out the door. They want to go for a walk. Why? Because the same way when you open the car door. They jump right in. They don't know where they're going. They don't care where they're going. They just care they're with you. And that's good enough. Dogs have so much joy. They, they have, it's so happy. It is preposterous how happy dogs is. It makes absolutely no sense. But think about something. Dogs don't live as long as we do. When you do the math, every day of their life is the equivalent to like 10 days of our life. 7 to 10 days. So they have to pack 7 to 10 days into every day. They have to squeeze a week's worth of everything. I know Otis could squeeze a week's worth of treats into every day. But every emotion that they have, they have to squeeze a week's worth into every day. So they have to make every day count. And I wonder if we're doing that. I wonder in our relationships with each other. We have seven times more days than our dogs do. And I wonder, are you making every day count? Are you, are you just holding on to grudges and being trapped by pain and wounds of the past? Or are you making every day count? Are you saying, you know what? I need to be, I need to be showing the love of Jesus today. I'm not telling you pray like this. I, I pray every day. I pray for three things. I mean, obviously, I pray for my kids, but I'm talking about for myself. I pray for God to give me favor. I pray for God to give me wisdom. And I pray that God will put the right people in my path that He wants there and keep the ones that are going to distract me away from me. And when I say the right people, I'm not just asking God to put people on my path that's going to bless me. Sometimes it's people that needs to hear about Him. Sometimes it's the right people in my path are people that need something from me. And God knows. I wonder, are you making every day count? As they play this song, why don't you just close your eyes? Why don't you just make a de dedication that instead of being busy all the time, I know you're busy. I'm not asking if you're busy. We're all busy. We're too busy. But you can be busy and not accomplishing anything. Do I make every day count? Review your life right now. Review your days. Do you feel like you make every day count? I want to love like these dogs love. When, when I see people, I just want to, I want to beam with, I, I want to be like they are. I, I just want to, I, I want to have that innocent kind of love. And, and don't get me wrong, life jades you and makes you wounded and uncomfortable and hurts you and takes you down the wrong paths. But I want to be able to forget those things that are behind me. And I want to love like Jesus. Are you making every day count? Is there somebody maybe you need to make a phone call to and say, you know what, I forgive you. I'm not holding it against you anymore. I don't care what you do with this information, but I'm going to make every day count from now. And I'm not going to live one more day burdened down by what you did to me. That's making every day count. Are, are, are you going to turn loose of the pain and agony of that broken relationship? And say, I'm going to make every day count. Maybe you got a strained relationship with your children. Maybe you got a strained relationship with your mother or father. I'm going to love like Jesus. I'm going to ask God until He helps me see through all of these flaws that they have because I know He looked at my flaws and didn't hold them against me. I want to love like Jesus. I want to make every day count. Can you do that right now? Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus, we pray that you would just bless every one of us with your heart with your mind and with your spirit. We understand, God, that we are flawed vessels. We do not understand your ways because they are so high above ours. We don't know how it is that you expect us to love, but that's why we can't do it in human ability. We have to tap into that agape love. So, Father, help us. Help us to see through the flaws of our, of our own admission and, and the flaws of others. 
Help us to stop holding grudges. Help us to stop expecting more out of other people than you expect of us. Help us to stop holding people to a higher standard than you do us. And help us love like Jesus. Let me not waste one more day. Heal my heart from the hurt that I have been through. Heal my mind of the memories. And help me, God, to turn loose of everything that is holding me back so that I can reach forward in you. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for working in me. And this morning, I believe that I'm going to stop wasting so many days and love like Jesus. And if that's what you prayed this morning, can you say amen? Amen. God bless you. Promise of victory. We love you.